Welcome to The Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers Tribute Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Lee James of rickleejames.com, and I run the Mr. Rogers Quotes Twitter account found at Mr. Rogers Say. As we again walk into this podcast neighborhood, I want you to know that no matter where you are from, you are welcome here. I'm glad to be your neighbor. Every daughter, every son, every tribe, and every tongue, in the spirit of Fred Rogers and the life of welcome that he lived, welcome to the neighborhood. In the early years, my guest today wrote 15 to 20 of the 65 programs of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that were produced annually. But his management responsibilities for the ancillary non-broadcast products, such as books, records, and educational materials, eventually displaced his time for writing scripts. Production of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was recessed in the late 1970s after nearly 500 episodes, and my guest today went on to undertake other pursuits. But of course, he and Fred Rogers remained intimate friends all the rest of their lives and conferred often about matters, both the serious and the silly. Well, my guest this week, his name is Elliot Daly, and he stopped by for a visit, and I could not be more grateful. Elliot Daly, welcome to the neighborhood. Well, thanks so much for this opportunity to uh, be with you and and with your listeners and to bring alive Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood uh, in, in my life one more time. <laughs> well, we are so thrilled to be able to, to have you here today. I know many of our listeners are going to be excited just to hear some of your stories today. And I almost always begin this particular podcast by asking this question, uh, because everyone who is on this show seems to have been touched in some way by Fred Rogers, his life, his ministry, his shows. Uh, so I always ask this question, what is your Mr. Rogers story? How do you personally connect from the beginning? Hmm. Well, um, I, if Fred and I got to know each other because back in the earliest days when television came into the households of America, which was the early 50s, I was already a teenager, but I in, understood intuitively that it was going to change the world. And as a teenager, I wrote essays about it, one thing and another. And and I continued sort of avocationally throughout all of my various degree programs to, to study whatever uh, research was being done on the effects of television. And as I became a father, I became particularly uh, impressed with how potent an experience it might be for our children were we to give them unfettered access to it mm. you know when i was a five-year-old in kindergarten to walk down the block to the firehouse was a big deal you know um but the vietnam war was being fought in my kids living room um and so we severely uh limited uh and 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 uh curated if you will uh their access to television. And um, and so I began writing articles and doing workshops and stuff about the social effects of television. And in the course of that, um, a friend stopped by in Pittsburgh, passing through town one, one day and came with his family and called me the next morning and said, 
there's this guy on television in Pittsburgh <laughs> who's got this dorky program. My <laughs> my kids could not stay away from it. They were just <laughs> the television to be embraced by by the spirit of this man. And uh, that's how I learned about Fred Rogers. Mm. And I got hold of, of videotape. They were called kinescopes back in those days. And um, I studied a lot of psychology in all of my degree programs, and I just was blown away. And I thought, this this man is is a genius. Mm. <clears throat> and I came over time uh, in, in my intimate and, and deep relationship with Fred to to regard him uh, in as a hybrid of a genius and a saint. Mm. And I know those are both extraordinary terms, but, but Fred was an extraordinary human being. And to be either, let alone both of those, <laughs> is, is, a, is a tall order. So yeah. that's, that's how Fred and I uh, got, got connected. I saw this videotape and I thought, I've got to write an article about this guy. I've got to do something. I was writing for TV Guide and Family Circle and Look Magazine and people wow. like that. Uh, in those days. So Patty and I dumped our three kids in the car and drove out to Pittsburgh. We were living in, here in Princeton, New Jersey at the time and spent the weekend with Fred and Joanna and James and John. And uh, Fred and I just kind of fell in love with each other. And it was mm -hmm. clear that we were, we were on the same wavelength and had the same uh, yearnings in, in life for uh, for what we wanted to make happen. And uh, so we, we developed a kind of a phone pal relationship. And Oh, probably once a week, we would spend an hour on the phone just uh, kind of dreaming about what might happen. And at the time, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was grossly underfunded. It was just a kind of a runt program being done at uh, at the public television station in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And one day he said, I've just gotten more that I may get a big grant from Sears Roebuck Foundation mm. that would enable me to to really do something uh, with this program, but I would need a lot of help on both the creative side and the management side. And is there any chance you'd be willing to, to uh, hook up with me? At the time, I was in my third year as an associate pastor at a big Presbyterian church here in Princeton and was concluding that that wasn't my true calling mm. and that, uh, that I wanted to get more into uh, work with children and television and so forth so it was it was a call from heaven as it were wow. and so we drove so that's how i got that's how i got started with fred so yeah that's amazing that well you know you you mentioned that you also wrote for tv guide and family circle and look magazine i feel like these are all separate conversations that have so much to talk about um you've been you've just done so much in your storied career and uh, and i i want to take a pause just for a moment to say to all of our listeners that i i would love for them to go to your website at elliotdaily.com and and that's spelled e l i o t D-A-L-E-Y.com, or you can click on the link in the show notes, because that's where we get to see some of your writing and, and some of the, learn more about you. So I just wanted to, to make that quick note to everyone, because you're a, a very impressive person that has done so much, and I'm grateful for the way that you contributed not only uh, to those other publications we mentioned, but even to to sign on to to write for the neighborhood. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Well, on your website, I took this straight from your website. You said, I have adopted a favorite definition of love to yearn for the fulfillment 
of another person on their own terms. I hope that my writing reflects such a view. So with that quote in mind, which I really love, by the way, that's a wonderful way uh, mm -hmm. to look at the definition of love. But I was wondering, can you walk us through the writing process for an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Did did Fred provide like an idea and some guidelines and then let you take the reins? Or, or how exactly did that work as a writer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've done a lot of speaking about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood before, but I don't think anybody has actually ever asked that question. I, I have occasionally mm -hmm. spontaneously brought it up, but but here's the here's the way it went, Rick. Uh, we were both pretty avid and I would say somewhat expert students of child development. Okay. And so we understood the agenda of developmental tasks mm -hmm. that are appropriate to preschoolers. Uh, you know, management of feelings, fear of the dark, fear of separation, uh, sibling rivalry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, there are dozens of 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 themes that are vibrant in the lives of preschoolers. Um, and so and, and so our purpose as a communication and a and a partner in the growing of preschool children was to was to speak to what was going on uh the you know the, if you took a look at mr rogers neighborhood as an adult uh or as a television critic it was the most boring program in the history of the world <laughs> and, and and that was because the drama was not on the screen the drama was inside the viewing child at home and and all we were doing was speaking to that evoking it and and ideally uh, helping to bring some calm peace resolution uh and adventure and energy to to the process of growing into and through uh those dynamics so uh the program was structured the five days monday through friday were always done as a set of five programs so so let's say that I wanted to do uh, a, a series on uh, on sibling rivalry. Uh, so you would open uh, the, the Monday program would would open up that issue, um, and then each of the five days of the week would would deal with a different facet of it or or whatever. And each program, of course, had to stand on its own uh, as a as a half hour experience for the child but cumulatively the five ideally um did something important with that issue for the viewing child <clears throat> so um fred didn't necessarily suggest i mean whatever i wrote uh, about for a, a week's theme uh, was just whatever was sort of up for me and and I think hey we haven't done on, anything on this we haven't done anything on that or whatever and the same was true for Fred mm. uh, but the common denominator between our uh, our writings was the most unheralded heroine of the 20th century and that was Margaret McFarland mm. Margaret McFarland uh, was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, she taught in the Department of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry, 
and was by all odds the world's foremost authority on preschool children's psychological development yes <clears throat> and uh she founded co-founded the uh, something called the arsenal family and child study center at university of pittsburgh her co-founders went on to great fame one was named dr benjamin spock mm -hmm. and the other one was eric erickson wow and and margaret was not only their their peer but but by their accounts their their superior in understanding what goes on with children well now that i think about it, i don't know how fred and margaret originally got connected hmm. i'm sure it was because when fred decided to get into this work he did what he would always do and that is to seek out the finest counsel information whatever was available to ensure that he was operating at at optimum uh, competence and and expertise but by the time i came into fred's orbit in 1970 um every script theme he would sit down and and vet with margaret and of course i immediately adopted the same pattern so let, if if i wanted to do a week on on let's say sibling rivalry i would schedule a meeting with margaret go over to her office and say margaret tell me about sibling rivalry <laughs> and, and margaret was was this very little um a, a slight a woman of slight physical stature kind of bird like mm -hmm. and uh and she was almost uh uh, insignificant in her physical stature and galactically gigantic in sure. her empathy and intellect and and I do have to tell you that the first time I sat with Margaret and asked her to help me understand better this theme she began and I'm not making this up she began talking about a visit to, I don't know, her sister or sister-in-law or a friend in Kansas who was drying her clothes on the outside clothesline in the prairie breezes. And then she ambled off into something else. And then she started talking about the mechanic and the boot repaired the tire on her car. So, I mean, it was just, she was all over the map. And I thought, oh my God. Oh, I, what have I fallen into? <laughs> you know, this, this, this woman, I don't know what Fred saw in her, but <clears throat> she has really lost it. But I sat there patiently waiting, waiting, hoping that this hour would be over. And after about what seemed like an hour, probably 15, 20, 30, who knows what, all of a sudden, the pieces just kind of began to reassemble themselves and there was something about <clears throat> the woman hanging clothes on the line and something about the guy fixing the tire and something about it that that just kind of all just sort of came tumbling together and you know if, if you ever look through you know a kaleidoscope where you've got all these fragments of colored glass and stuff like that and mm -hmm. then you twist it and it suddenly boom and here's this glorious you know, yeah. dimensional, multicolored uh, image for you to look at and behold and and wonder at. 
And that's what she did. Yeah. You know, by the end of that hour, there wasn't anything about sibling rivalry that I did not understand. Oh, as wow. well as a three-year-old going through it. Mm-hmm. She was just, she was a magician wow. of both understanding and 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 teaching. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so you know, she and and she, you know, she didn't teach in concepts, she taught yeah. in in human images and illustrations and and stuff and and margaret was behind every script that was ever written on mr rogers neighborhood wow that's amazing during my era and mm-hmm. uh, so so that's how the programs came together now just the the only other thing i don't want to keep blithering here but the only other thing that you need to know about the structure of the program is it's the same structure as the wizard of oz mm-hmm. you know it opens in reality um there is an object or or uh, or whatever that is the focus of the theme of that program and then it morphs into the neighborhood of make-believe which is the fantasy part of the wizard of oz and then at the tail end you go back to realities like dorothy in kansas quote unquote right um, before and after and so that was always the arc of the program yeah and uh I love that. I, I've never heard anyone quite articulate it that way, but I, I can see it so clearly when you say it that way, too. Just the, the wonderful way that you, you almost enter into the world of parable when you enter into uh, the land of make-believe and then you, yeah. you come back and how it connects. So brilliant. Yeah. And uh, and I know that Dr. McFarland, she was everything I have, have read, not not from firsthand knowledge, of course, but everything. You can't read about Fred Rogers without reading about her as well and her influence and the way that he was so affected, even by her death. And it was, uh, there's a story in one of his uh, biographies about uh, just the way that he was so affected by her death at the end and and how close they were all through life. So I, I really appreciate you giving us kind of a, a look behind the curtain speaking of wizard of oz looking behind the curtain to see <laughs> a little bit of how it's made but you know for the for the sake of our time and and the time that we have left i on my end i've got about nine minutes left before um zoom starts causing me trouble and saying your your time's almost up um i would love to ask you because you have i'm sure a number of memories and things that really stand out to you from your time with fred rogers and working on the neighborhood but i just wonder if you had one really good memory that you would mind sharing with our listeners something that maybe is just unique to you that we wouldn't be privy to necessarily on our end of things but is there just one memory that you go yep this is my my yep. my thing that I treasure and hold on to I've got you okay so here's the deal uh, no one ever encountered Fred in person without coming away from the encounter feeling better about themselves, being more hopeful about themselves, being more determined to be who they are and who mm-hmm. Fred intuitively treasured. Um, uh, Patty, my wife Patty and I grew up in California. And uh, when I graduated from seminary in 65, um, I took a two-year appointment as a chaplain. <clears throat> Excuse me. At Middlebury College in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we arrived in Middlebury, Vermont, from the Bay Area in California. Um, 
And I think my my heaviest article of clothing was a V-neck sweater or something. <laughs> but they actually in Vermont they they really do winter, you know. <laughs> yeah. Winter is here. So anyhow, we, we got there in midsummer, and I realized that there was going to be some cold weather coming. Uh, I stopped by a farmhouse auction one day, and one of the articles for sale, most of the people there were buying furniture and one thing that was a was a ratty old raccoon coat, flapper style raccoon coat from the 1920s. And I bid a dollar on it and nobody else could care less about it. <laughs> but I thought it'd be a good thing for Patty to wear to football games in, you know, in the snowy reaches of Vermont. Well, Patty is the animal lover par excellence. Uh, and she felt very uncomfortable about, about wearing a, a fur coat, if you, mm-hmm. even, a, even a ratty old one. Anyhow, Fast forward, Pittsburgh, Fred and Joanne, Patty and Elliot are going out to dinner one night. It's in the middle of a blizzard in Pittsburgh, you know, 14 inches of snow on the ground. Patty is wearing her raccoon coat because it's the only thing that she has that's appropriate to that blizzardy night. And so she begins <clears throat> a well-practiced little um I'm I'm not really a, a lover of fur coats. Elliot got this for me, in Vermont, et cetera, et cetera. And going through this little apologia for why she's wearing this raccoon coat. And when she winds down, Fred says, so Patty, I know that you love animals and know a lot about animals. And um, what what's the uh, what's the the life expectancy of a raccoon? And Patty said, well, I don't know. I, I imagine it's, you know, like a small animal. I was maybe 15, 18, 20 years, maybe. And Fred said, well, you know, as I, as I figure it, all of those raccoons would have been dead by now anyhow. And I think you ought to just enjoy that coat. <laughs> wow. That's a great story. Oh, well, you thank know, you. It was just always so so aware of and sensitive to what was going on in the person he was engaged with. And, yeah. and it was just beautiful to behold. Yeah. Even well, though we have difficult conversations with, uh, on the rare occasions when when somebody just wasn't able to cut the mustard at the organization and, and mm. we had to let them go find fulfillment elsewhere. Um, you know, he, he knew how to do that too. Wow. Well, these are beautiful stories that you share with us today. And, and I can I can attest that one reason that I feel such a connection with Fred Rogers is it wasn't exactly because of my relationship with the show as a child, but it really was more as an adult as I read about him, as I learned about him. And then as I look at the show now, I I feel so drawn into the warmth and the kindness and looking at the layers beyond the, the issues that Fred Rogers would talk about. And I know that you were a big part of that as one of the writers on the show and the, the way that death could be talked about, the way that war could be talked about, divorce, all these difficult things that people wouldn't have thought at the time to put into a show for, for younger preschool children. But I find that adults resonate with it just as well. Uh, so I just want to thank you today as we close our chat together this morning. Um, thank you again for your good work. 
thank you for sharing today and spending some time with us today and sharing some of this. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Um, so I want to I want to just before we're done, I want to point everybody to your website one more time at ElliotDaily.com, and we will have links in our show notes. Do you have any parting words for us today before we end? I do. Um, you know, a couple, three years ago, there were two excellent movies that came out about Fred that came out at a time when I think America was yearning for an antidote to some of the ugliness that was swamping the country um, from coast to coast. And the film in which Tom Hanks portrays Fred Rogers, um, I thought was extraordinarily appropriate in ways that I think few people might have noticed. Mm. Tom Hanks, superstar of Hollywood, superstar, superstar, uh, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> okay? Wow. He was not the lead actor in that. And Tom Hanks was on camera, I know, less than half of the time. And it was so appropriate because that was Fred. That movie was all about the effect that Fred had in the lives of others, not who Fred himself was. Yeah. And so I just want people to appreciate that that the producers of that program intentionally or inadvertently really got it right about Fred. Wow. That is a wonderful insight for us as we close our time together today. Elliot Daly, thank you for stopping by for a visit in our podcast neighborhood today. Oh, I really appreciate you. it. Thank you, Rick, for your great work in keeping alive someone who's Life has so enhanced the lives of so many others. Oh, Take care. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here this week in the neighborhood. Music featured on the podcast is Won't You Be My Neighbor, performed by me. Special thanks to everyone who helped make this episode possible, including the at Mr. Rogers Say community on Twitter, also known as Mr. Rogers Quotes. I'm your host, Rick Lee James. My personal website is rickleejames.com. My other podcast is Voices in My Head, the Rick Lee James podcast. And I look forward to being with you again next time. But until then, remember, you make each day a special day by just your being you. There's only one person in the whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.